Section 3 of The Black Cat, Volume 1, Number 11, August 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jean Clare. The Black Cat, Volume 1, Number 11, August 1896. Section 3, A Defender of the Faith, by John D. Barry. The London weather had been fine for a week, and today the sky showed patches of blue. George Bird looked out of his window and began to tap on the pane. Hardly a sound broke the silence of the solemn English Sunday afternoon. "'Want to go out?' said he, apparently speaking to someone on the opposite side of Gower Street. The question was really directed to a young man lounging before the fireplace. "'Don't care if I do.' The young man yawned and stretched his arms, letting the book he had been reading fall from his lap. We might go to Hyde Park. She'll probably be there, the young man said from behind his hand. Bird looked quickly around. Then we won't go. Great chance you'll have of meeting her among thousands of people. Bird turned from the window and dropped into a chair. Then, directing his blue eyes toward his companion, he began to tug at his beard. Don't you think she's been pretty hard on me? My dear boy, when you get to be as old as I am, you won't take these things so seriously. She's so liberal, too. Why, she knows all kinds of people in New York, people that her friends wouldn't think of knowing. But she draws the line at you, Warren laughed. He had dragged himself from his chair and was changing his cutaway for a frock coat. Well, if you're going to go out with me, you'd better get a move on, he said. It's just her high church notions. She wasn't like that before she caught the ritualistic craze. Did you tell her so? asked Warren, pulling his black cravat from under his collar to substitute a white one. No, I didn't. I don't care what she believes, as long as it doesn't affect her opinion of me. I'd think just as much of her if she were a Mohammedan. What in the deuce is she kicking about, anyway? Is it because you aren't rich? Isn't she impressed by your greatness? She doesn't care anything about my greatness, Bird replied impatiently. And she doesn't care whether I'm rich or poor. It's all because I can't believe what she believes, and because I can't live up to her standard. A moment later, he added, she says that literature can't have any good in it unless it's founded on morality. Do you mean to say, cried Warren, turning from the mirror and holding the ends of his white cravat in his hands, do you mean to say she calls your stories immoral? Bird smiled in spite of himself. She says everything is immoral in literature that doesn't teach a lesson. She told me last night that literature and religion ought to go hand in hand. Those were her very words. I'm afraid she's a prig, Warren declared. There, don't flare up so, Sonny. If she was foolish enough to refuse you, she didn't refuse me. She merely put me off. Said we'd be good friends just the same, but we... Same thing. You'll learn that when you're as old as I am. That's the way tender-hearted girls always let a fellow down. She said if I'd stop writing about common people and write about something high and inspiring, and if I would try to believe in religion as she does and all that, why, she'd think about it. Warren began to laugh softly. She is a romanticist, my boy. I told you this realism of yours would bring you to grief. It isn't my fault if I can't see things in her ideal way, cried Bird fiercely. Then he jumped from his seat, and after throwing off his coat and waistcoat, began to dress for the street. Six weeks before this conversation took place, Ernest Warren and George Bird had never met. They knew each other's work in the magazines, however, and when they found themselves together on the Teutonic, they quickly became acquainted. They agreed to take rooms together in London, Warren having good-naturedly concurred in Bird's determination to live in that part of the city made famous by Thackeray. This was how they happened now to be domiciled in Gower Street, 
close by historic Russell Square, with its air of faded gentility, within a short walk of the British Museum. Warren was as pronounced a romanticist as Byrd was a realist. Shortly after leaving Princeton, he had begun to write novels, attracting attention first with the story of college life. Byrd's career had begun in newspaper work, and his success with his sketches of the slums in New York had encouraged him to write for the magazines. When his father died and left him a small income, he gave up journalism to devote himself entirely to literature. Ever since his early newspaper days, five years before, he had known Alice West. Alice had for several years devoted herself to scientific philanthropy. As a reporter, Bird had often helped her in her work, and they had thus been thrown much together. It was when she had crossed with her mother on the Teutonic for a summer in England, however, that he first realized that he was in love with her. During her four weeks in London, he had been with her nearly every day, and it was the result of his avowal of his affection, made while they were walking home from a visit to the Grafton Gallery the day before, that had made him so unhappy on this Sunday afternoon. Today, they found Piccadilly crowded with people. It was the fag end of the season, but many of the fashionables were still in town and on evidence in the park. They took a seat beside the broad driveway, and for a time, Bird devoted his attention to the pretty girls in the carriages, trying to imagine that he wasn't looking for anyone in particular. But when they resumed their walk in the direction of the marble arch, he sighed. The greensward of the park was dotted with groups of people. Some were singing hymns, others were listening to the exhortations of preachers. From the largest group came a rough voice indulging in fierce vituperation. It attracted the two Americans, who stood for a moment at the edge of the crowd and then slowly worked their way toward the speaker. From the top of a soapbox, a short, stout man with a very red face and beard and small, beady eyes was preaching atheism. We're going to put an end to superstition. We're going to teach men and women to think for themselves. For nearly 2,000 years, Christianity has gulled the inhabitants of the whole civilized world. They've been born in superstition, and they died in superstition. All the injustice and the oppression and the wrong in the world can be traced to Christianity. It gives everything to the rich and nothing to the poor. Its churches are built out of the money wrung from the lifeblood of the poor. Do you suppose the men that built the magnificent temples of Christianity believe in the Christian religion? Do you suppose they're such fools as to be deluded by the lies it teaches? Don't you believe it. They build churches because the preachers help them to blind the masses, the toiling multitudes that you and I belong to, the people that keep the world moving. No, my friends, don't you allow yourselves to be gulled by these psalm-singing hypocrites. For 20 centuries they've had their way. Now our time's coming. We'll turn their churches into institutions for the people. We'll shed the light of reason on their lies. In all the years that Christianity has existed, what benefit has it been to the world? Is there anyone here that can tell me one thing it has done for humanity? If there is, let him speak out and say what it is. He stood with his hand poised dramatically. No one spoke. The crowd had the air of hoping that something exciting was going to happen. One of the atheist supporters took advantage of the moment to pass his hat around for the expenses, as he explained to those who seemed reluctant to give. He's having things all his own way, isn't he, said Bird. Before Warren could reply, the horse harangue was resumed. There are thousands of Christians all around us, and not one of them dares to speak up for the Christian religion. They know better. They know it ain't got a leg to stand on. They know in their hearts it's a lie and a cheat. They know they're hypocrites. They pretend to believe in Christianity just to stand in with the world and make profit out of it. If this ain't so, why don't some of you come up and deny it? As the orator paused again, Bird turned to his companion. 
Think of these people being taken in by such rot as that. The little atheist had his eye on the two young men. Bird had spoken in a low voice, but it was plain enough that the import of his words had reached the speaker. "'What did you say, sir?' he cried suddenly, pointing at Bird with a long forefinger. "'If you have anything to say against me, you just step right on up here and say it. I'm ready to give this place to you. Come on.' He waited for a moment with his arm extended. Bird felt his face flush. As he said nothing, the atheist resumed. "'We don't want any sneaking business round here. This ain't no Christian church.' Now come right up. There's plenty of room for you. Come up if you dare. He jumped from the box and stood defiantly beside it. The crowd around Bird pushed him into the center. Almost before he had time to realize it, he stood on the platform. A mass of eager faces confronted him. For a moment he looked dazed. Then he pulled himself together. I don't pretend to be much of a Christian, he said, sweeping the faces with a glance, and I'm not the right person to get up here to defend Christianity. But I believe in fair play and as there's no one else to defend it, I will. I don't want to preach religion. I don't care whether you have any religion or not, but I should like to make you see that when a man says Christianity has done harm, he lies. Just think for a minute what the founder of Christianity did. It makes no difference whether you believe Christ was God or only man. You know that he gave up his whole life to the poor as well as the rich. Instead of doing what this atheist here is doing, he taught the doctrine of unselfishness and courage. There's not one of you here who can deny that. Now you, sir, want to know one good thing Christianity has done? It has held up Christ's example before the world as an inspiration. It has done a great many other good things besides, but if this were all, it would still be enough to deserve your respect and the respect of every other man. The crowd burst into applause and cries of, Good, good, that's true, give it to him. Bird apparently did not hear them. He went on, speaking more rapidly, his face ablaze, his eyes flashing. And what did Christ gain? Nothing but hatred and abuse and a shameful death. But those men were no worse than this atheist, or than any of you people, who have stood here and heard this man flinging mud at Christianity. The crowd, which had at first been surprised by the appearance of Bird and his outburst, were drawn to him by his enthusiasm and his manifest sincerity. As he paused for breath, they again burst into applause. Give it to him, young'un, give it to him. The stragglers near the group, attracted by Bird's impassioned utterance, came up quickly. Several deserters followed from the Salvation Army meeting. Many of the listeners round other preachers fell away and turned to the superior attraction. Just then, a long line of small boys in the gray uniform of a charitable institution, headed by a sister of charity in a gray dress and wide-spreading cap, passed along the walk near the place where the group was standing. Bird's eyes fell upon them. Look, he cried pointing to the nun, whose back was turned to him and who was walking slowly away. There's a picture of what Christianity is doing. Look at those motherless children, and look at that sister of charity, and then ask yourselves if what this man says is true. He could not have made a better point. The heads of the crowd turned toward the unconscious little regiment of orphans. The sight of that sister of charity, Bird went on, ought to remind us of what Christianity has done for women. Before Christ came into the world, Women in many countries were considered the inferiors, almost the slaves of men. The real dignity of womanhood wasn't understood then. But Christ changed all that. He taught men that women should be honored, and by honoring his mother, he set an example that has been followed in every Christian country. He made the influence of women one of the most precious influences that exist on earth. There probably isn't a man here that didn't have a mother who believed in Christ, and I dare say there isn't one of you that hasn't heard from her a thousand times the story of Christ's life. You know what a comfort her faith was to her. 
but you come here and encourage a man who is doing his best to take that comfort from those who have it. And what has he to offer in its place? Does he offer anything that will make the world better or happier? No, it makes him miserable to see others getting comfort and help where he can't get any, so he tries to rob them of it. And now, after abusing you, he wants you to put your hands in your pockets for him. But you're to blame yourselves. Without your encouragement, such men would soon find that abusing Christianity didn't pay, and they would go into some other business. But you owe yourselves and the religion of your mothers some reparation for the way you've helped to insult it. You can give money to an atheist for his own pocket. And now, if you have any sense of decency and fair play, give money to the Christians for the support of their charities. There are plenty of Christians round here that will be glad enough to take it and put it to good use. Bird stepped down from the box, and the people gathered around him, clamoring thanks and congratulations and patting him on the back. One of them offered him money. I'm not a preacher, said he, refusing it with an indignation that he afterwards couldn't account for. Give it to one of the clergymen around here if you want to. The little atheist, meanwhile, tried to retrieve his lost ground, but the people had had enough of him. Most of them turned away, leaving but a fringe of supporters around him. As Bird pushed through the struggling mass toward the nearest exit of the park, he wondered where Warren was, in the crowd somewhere, probably. But he couldn't wait for him. He felt a wild desire to hurry home, and then to rush up to his room and hide himself there. Now that his outburst was over, he felt overwhelmed with mortification. His face was hot, and his body was tingling. He remembered that he had the same sensation years before, when he thrashed a school bully who for months had persecuted him. In spite of his shame, he felt exultant, almost radiantly happy. After leaving the park, he continued to walk rapidly, turning instinctively toward Gower Street. When he arrived at his door, he felt a shock of surprise. He had observed nothing on the way. He had been in a kind of dream. Two hours later, Warren entered. Well, Sonny, he said, you did yourself proud this afternoon. I suppose you mean I made an ass of myself, retorted Bird, feeling his face grow hot again. I confess I thought you were going to, but you stirred even me. It was a good speech, my boy, a little tautological, perhaps, but with the right ring in it. Of course it was an argument, but you got there just the same. I didn't know you had it in you. You did stir him up, though. There was one person you stirred up especially. Do you mean the little atheist? I could hear him as I was trying to get out of the crowd. No, I don't mean him. After a pause, Warren added mysteriously, A lady. A lady? Bird's face grew red. He walked toward the bed. Yes, a young lady, a pretty lady, an American lady. Warren laughed. You, you don't mean to say that she was there. Oh, what a fool I've made of myself. Then, after a moment, look here, Warren, he said. What did she say? Oh, well, now, you don't want me to repeat what a lady said in confidence, do you? I suppose she guide me. Oh, you might as well speak out. I can stand it. I suppose you went home with her. Exactly. Her mother and Miss Griggs walked discreetly behind. Nice girl, Miss Griggs, eh? Nice eyes and hair. Better style than these English girls. Oh, bother, Miss Griggs. Tell me about Alice. Miss Griggs almost wept, Warren went on with his mocking laugh. She said it was the most beautiful thing she ever heard in her life, and I cracked you up to the skies. I said, never mind what you said. What did Alice say? Oh, she wasn't there then. That was in the hotel parlor. She went right up to her room as soon as we got there. By the way, Mrs. West wants us to come round tonight at eight o'clock and have supper. Warren devoted the rest of the afternoon to letter writing, but Bird was too nervous to work, and he feverishly paced the room. He wondered if Mrs. West's invitation meant that Alice had said nothing of the episode of the day before. He had often heard Alice declare that she thought it was mean of girls to tell of their offers. How noble it was of her to keep it to herself. 
then too how fine it was of her to say she'd hoped they'd be just as good friends as ever better perhaps now that they understood each other so well she might have asked her mother to invite warren and himself for supper to show that she forgave his presumption he became so excited at the thought of her angelic qualities that in his eagerness to see her he arrived with his companion at the hotel twenty minutes before the appointed time he felt sheepish as he ascended in the lift he was afraid that mrs west and miss griggs would guy him for his adventure of the afternoon alice he was sure would treat it with silent contempt so on entering the little drawing-room where the servant had preceded them he was startled at being seized by two matronly hands and flooded with congratulations first by mrs west and then by miss griggs as for alice who came forward looking like galatea her face pale and her fair hair waving over her forehead a faint smile on her lips she merely said i'm glad you could come and then stood apart while her mother's rhapsody went on but her face had flushed when bird took her hand and was still as red as his face had grown oh don't he cried that idiot of an atheist forced me into it please don't say anything more about it well let's not stand here like statues said mrs west leading the way into the other room come in here where the table is spread is ever so much more cheerful miss griggs and warren followed and warren carelessly closed the door behind him leaving alice alone with bird alice was about to open the door again but before her hand could turn the knob bird intercepted it it was awfully good of you to let me come today he said i i want you to know that i appreciate it it was good of you to be willing to come she replied i can see now that i had no right to speak to you as i did yesterday it was a mean advantage to take of your friendship oh no please don't say that she cried helplessly you you make it harder for me it was conceited and silly for me to talk like that i've only just realized how silly it was since i came home from the park today his face flushed do you mean that you thought it wasn't worth while that i couldn't appreciate how true all you said was because i made such an ass of myself this afternoon no what you did was splendid and brave it made me see how much better you were than i could ever be i better than you bird gasped incredulously yes a thousand times better i've been so narrow i've only thought about one way of being good but now i can see there are a great many ways a great joy shone in bird's face alice he said in a long breath do you mean oh it's all a mistake but if you do mean that you'll give me another chance that you oh if you do if you can mean anything like that i'll bless that atheist till the end of my life her head was turned from him and one hand was hanging limp by her side he took it very gently she did not draw it away alice he said i love you more than i ever thought i could love anyone i didn't know there was anything so beautiful in the world as the love i feel for you i know i can't live up to your standard but if you'll only let me try to make myself worthy of you i'm willing to wait as long as you wish she kept her face turned from him you make me feel ashamed of myself said she it's all right he laughed if you don't feel ashamed of me he drew her close to him and kissed her then as she didn't resist he kissed her again i love you dear he whispered end of section three